Happy Sabbath again. Now, how many of you practice good mental health this afternoon? Oh, we're very timid and shy. <laughs> I saw a few hands. Now, how many practice good mental health? Okay, you might be wondering, well, what do you want us to do? Okay, how many of you had a good, nutritious, nutritiously dense meal for lunch? Okay, great. <laughs> how many of you took a walk? Oh, uh-oh. Uh, that one, that was, this, was a little tentative there. How many got in a little bit of sun exposure? Okay, all right. So we did something for our mental wellness, so that was good. We're going to talk this afternoon about, um, <laughs> I, I'm sorry, I'm chuckling because I, I have so many slides, I don't know how we're going to get through it all, so we're just going to pray for God to, to, to tell us what we need to know and to, um, to close my mouth when it's not something we need to talk about tonight, today, okay? Um, but we're going to talk about a key part of mental wellness, mental health and wellness. Some of it we're going to know, we're be, we're, we'll be familiar with some of it. But some of it might be new and hopefully inspiring. Because I do believe that we are living in the last days. And I do believe that the Seventh-day Adventist Church has the keys for mental wellness. In fact, let me tell you, a few years ago, I, was, I called together a group of millennial young people. There's their kids in their 20s and early 30s. They all work at the North American Division with me um, in different departments. And we called a meeting together because we were launching a new health initiative. And I said, you know what? Our young people are very interested in health. I want to hear from them what they think we should talk about. We spent about an hour and a half going over different ideas, and they were just sharing and talking, and you know, that, it was wonderful to hear from them. Towards the end, somebody said, you know what? We need to talk about mental health. We need to talk about mental health. And all of them jumped on board with that, and they even said the Seventh-day Adventist Church knows how to address mental health. These are our young people in our church working at the North American Division. They want the church to be engaged in this. And so since then, we have been planning and praying and, and um, learning about more about how we as a church can serve in this particular topic area. So praise God that he is calling the church. And by the way, in that time frame, I've seen so many more people rising up in our church to say, we need to talk about this in a holistic way. So praise the God, praise the Lord. This means he is moving. He's the one driving here. And that's exactly how we want it to be. So today, let's get into a threefold chord. We're familiar with the scripture reading that was read. That we are stronger when we are together. And when we are together, in the Lord. Let's pray as we begin. Father in heaven, Lord, there is so much need of addressing mental health, mental wellness, and we know that you are the one who has the answers. So as we study together, 
Lord, enlighten our minds and inspire our hearts to be your conduits of love in a world that is dying. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's, uh, let me just share with you again, since we are producing some mental health resources, our website where you can go and find the different things that we have available. Um, I'm going to show a video later on, and I forgot to uh, let our audiovisual team know there is a video embedded in the PowerPoint that I hope will work with the sound. That will be midway through the presentation. But we'll, we'll share with you some of the resources, but please know that we are actively producing things for you to use. We want you to engage in these resources to touch the people in your sphere of influence. So let's talk about stress. Anybody know what stress is? Anyone experience stress ever in your life, or is this a very foreign thing to us? Yeah, <laughs> a lot of sad chuckles and shakes of the head. It's true, stress is just a, a, a ubiquitous part of our life these days, isn't it? And it seems like it's getting worse and worse and worse. So let's talk a little bit about stress and some of the downroad impacts of stress. So... I want to just look at very quickly, because we do want to frame this within the times that we are living in. We're going to look at two time periods and look at and see at what were the major stressors that were identified here in the United States. So in 2014, just a few years ago, this is what they said. Money was the number one stressor. Work was a major stressor. The economy at that time, 2014, was a stressor. Interesting. Now, uh, 2008, we know, was a hugely stressful time regarding the economy. That's when we had the big um, uh, collapse in housing and so forth. But here, even in 2014, the economy was a factor. And then family responsibilities, and personal health concerns. Personal health concerns, really. <laughs> Hello, church. <laughs> There's an opportunity for us, right? So here's what people were saying in 2014 were their major stressors. Let's go to 2017 and see what they said. 2017, very recent history. Stressors, health care, number one. We're still talking about health. Healthcare, number one. The economy now is a higher level stressor. Trust in government. Huh. Trust in government. Now, we've all been alive for the past few years. We've seen what's happening not too far from here. And all of the struggles happening in our political system. Hate crimes. 2017, remember, this is pre-COVID pandemic, pre-when all of the outbreak of police violence was coming out. But in 2017, hate crimes was a major stressor. And then conflict with other countries. Are we, 
Are we seeing stress about conflict with other countries today? Is it more now than 2017? It is more, isn't it? So what this is telling me is that the issues we are facing today have been percolating for quite some time. They've been there. Maybe, maybe they haven't been quite you know, at the forefront like they are today and in the past few months and couple years, but these have been major stressors in society for years building up. So as we pay attention to these stressors, what I believe we as a church can take, uh, take this as our opportunity to present the truths, the Bible truths that actually give some of the answers, some of the outcomes, some of the hope that we have in relation to these specific topics. So there's some good reason to pay attention to what is happening in the world around us. This is data from 2020, so just a couple years ago, during the height of the pandemic. What, are the, what was the stress level by generation? Okay, so if we start at the bottom, the older adults, and this was looking at World War II, post-World War II, the generation born during that time. They have about 8% of stress, self-reported stress. They said around 8%. So it's, it's noticeable, important to pay attention to. But as we go to the more recent generations, the baby boomers, which were their children, 12%, Gen Xers, which were in, I, I have to look up the years, I, I can't always remember, but the Gen Xers were from, born 1965 to 1980, okay? So they're ha they have a little higher levels of stress than their parents. And then look at the millennials, well, close to the Gen Xers. But the highest percent of stress among our Gen Z, our youngest adult population. And this is the group that was born between 1997 and 2012. So they were really still 10 years old, right? They are the ones reporting the highest levels of stress. And nearly one in five adults say that their mental health is worse than this time, than a year ago. So mental health issue is getting worse and worse, and stress is playing a major role in that trajectory. So what are some of the symptoms of stress? This is a short list, but some of the major symptoms we see is irritability and anger. We haven't seen any anger outbursts, have we, in online, so in the news, social media, right? Everybody's just calm as a cucumber these days. Doesn't it seem like everybody in every sector, we're just seeing more and more of these outbursts, uncontrollable outbursts of anger? There's a symptom of stress. Nervousness or anxiety, anxious being anxious, lack of interest or motivation, fatigue, fatigue, okay? Overwhelm, being overwhelmed, and we know that becoming overwhelmed could lead to burnout, 
And we're going to talk about that in a moment. And then depression or just feeling sad. So these are some of the highest, uh, the most, more common symptoms of stress. All right, everybody breathe. Okay, breathe. Remember, breath was the first gift God gave us. So breathe. Breathing is one of the de-stressors. Good deep breaths, because I don't want you to feel stressed over this. I don't want you to think, that's me. I'm everything on that list. So breathe. Okay, in through the nose and slowly out through the mouth. Symptoms of stress. But praise God, we don't have to be slaves to this. Okay? And we're going to talk about that. Because there is good stress and also bad stress. And this is a good concept to keep in mind. There are some stressors in our life that actually motivate us to do good things, to grow, to expand. For example, your first day of kindergarten could have been very stressful for you because you had to leave home, leave mom and dad, and go to be with these people you never met. That is a stressor. But it wasn't necessarily bad. It produced growth and forward mobility. Learning how to drive a car is very stressful. Maybe for the person who taught you more than the person learning, but learning how to do something new. Going to medical school, very stressful. Going to any kind of education, except coming to Heartland. There's no stress there, I'm sure. <laughs> but, but all of these things are good types of stress. And they produce growth and new abilities, new skills. Being part of the last day church is a type of good stress. Because we feel that we want to go out and tell the world as Christ called us to. So it should motivate us to be there and share his love. But we've got to do it in a healthy way too. So bad stress is when the stress is overwhelming to a point where we are unable to function in a healthy way. Focus here on um, the, the second bullet point here. The, the term stress was identified back to in the 1930s when lab animals were put under stressful conditions and they were exposed to noxious noises and, and light and just very annoying things. What they found was these lab animals then had stomach ulcers, their lymph tissues shrank, and their adrenals, which is a lot of where our stress response is mediated, were enlarged. So stress, these physical stressors placed on these animals produced physical conditions. And persistent stress in these animals led to heart attacks, stroke, kidney disease. Wow. Arthritis, infl inflammation is a major endpoint of stress as well. So if we look at our human experience, we have what is called the human function curve, where on the, the y-axis that's going up and down, 
we have our performance. So our performance increases as you go up, and then across the x-axis, this is our stress level. So the stress increases as you go from left to right. So if you follow that curve, what we see is as your stress goes up, your performance goes up as well. Now that's almost intuitive, right? Un unless you're, you're, um, you need to do something, sometimes there's inertia that just <laughs> holds us back. So as the stress goes up, your deadline for getting a, a, something done is going up, so the stress is building, so you're more likely to accomplish the task. But there comes a point where you just hit the top and your body is no longer able to handle the stress that you, is placed on it. And so your performance actually starts decreasing. When the stress is too high, it's past the point that you are able to manage, your performance goes down. And so that's not what we want. We don't want performance to decrease. And so we need to be careful that we're managing that stress and we're making sure that we're coping, we're taking care of our stress levels um, so that we don't go down the pathway of exhaustion, poor health, burnout, and then we'll talk about one more thing that could be one of the final endpoints. How does stress hurt us? This might be a little small for you to see, but we know as we saw with those lab animal experiments, how stress impacted their physical health, we now know that stress does impact just about every part of our body, every part of our, our, body, our normal body's functions. And let's look at the top, the brain and our nerves. So it could be something such as headaches or feelings of despair lack of energy or nervousness and irritability, sleeping or panic attacks. So we can have stress impacting our mental health. If we go down that list there, it can affect our skin, our muscles and our joints, the heart, our stomach, digestive processes can be very much impacted by stress. There is a direct link between the brain and the stomach. And so you probably heard about the gut-brain connection. And so there is definitely a very close relationship between the two. Pancreas, intestines, reproductive system, and on and on and on and on. Just about every bodily system is impacted by stress. So is it something we need to take care of? Here's a quote from Sister White that just emphasizes that point again. The relation that exists between the mind and the body is very intimate. When one is affected, the other sympathizes. The condition of the mind affects the health to a far greater degree than many realize. Many of the diseases from which men suffer are the result of mental depression. Grief, anxiety, discontent, remorse, guilt, distrust, distrust, that's a big one, all tend to break down the life forces and invite decay and death. So we definitely want to take care of that relationship between our mind and our bodies as well. 
So let's talk about burnout very briefly, because quite frankly, I've, I've been sharing about burnout um, for the past few months, and everywhere I go, there are people who tell me I'm there. They're, they're, they're really battling to avoid burnout. So it's really an important thing to talk about, but we're just gonna touch on it. So the term burnout was first coined by Dr. Herbert Freudenberger. He was a psychologist and he did research and um, he studied how people respond to stress at work. And in fact, he did his work specifically in what he called helping professions, helping professions. So this was primarily doctors and nurses. So people who were serving others, basically. So I like to tell my pastors, pastor, you're in a helping profession too. When you're in ministry, you're in a helping profession too. So we all need to consider our risk for burnout. So what is burnout? It's exhaustion of physical or emotional strength or motivation, usually as a result of what? Prolonged. prolonged stress or frustration. Okay, prolonged. Again, it's not that short term necessarily. It's not the good type of stress. It's the prolonged stress that we, have, we are not coping from, that we're not taking a break from, that we're not recognizing and pausing. So, suicide. Suicide, potentially one of the really downstream results of burnout. In this graph, what we're seeing here is data from 2020, again, just two years ago. And in the United States, among adults, there were 48,000 successful suicides. American adults, 48,000. And it just breaks my heart to think what led that person to that point. But if we look at the picture, the graph in green is the number of people who attempted suicide. And that is 1.2 million adults. Million. 48,000 sadly succeeded, but 1.2 million tried. But if you even go further upstream, the yellow, 3.2 million planned a suicide. And even further back, 12.2 million adults reported thinking about suicide. And we as a church we need to ask the question, where is the hope? Why could we not reach you with the hope that Christ has that helps us through these stressors of life? It helps us understand and see the better end to the story. Where is the hope? Friends, we need to enter this space as well. And in fact, we are now producing a program to prevent suicide because we want to prevent burnout. We want to prevent it before it even gets down that road. So we definitely need to engage in these people's lives and let them know there is hope. So let's talk about the path to resilience. 
let's talk about what can we do. Let's be practical about what can we do to help others who are facing this struggle and dare I say even help ourselves because we're still human too. So what can we do to prevent or to even recover and get to a healthier place? This is a quote from a psychiatrist, uh, sorry, psychologist. He is not, he is a Christian, um, but he's not a, not an Adventist, but I, I found this quote to be quite striking and important to, to us. He says this, hope is the fuel that drives the engine of mental health recovery. Can you believe that? A psychologist, a professional, a clinician, he is saying that hope drives recovery. As long as one has hope, there is motivation and opportunity for change. But then he pauses and he says, makes this important note, as a practicing clinician, he says this, the hope presently offered by the mental health care system is what? Symptom reduction and illness management. And that's true about our health care, just all around. We had a great uh, chat over lunch um, about the health care system and how really, it's, it's, for the most part, it is about symptom, addressing the symptoms. It doesn't necessarily get to the root cause. But we are seeing a change, so please don't give up hope on your medical professionals. <laughs> Pray for them. Ask God to show them. But there is hope even in our medical system. But he is saying they're really focused on that symptom reduction, illness management. But hold on because he goes on to say more. He says the church, however, understands that hope is more than a feeling. Hope is Jesus Christ. Hope is a person, Jesus Christ. The church's holistic view of being human offers those struggling with a mental health problem a more complete framework for recovery. And we talked about God's holistic design earlier this morning, how God created us with a physical body, a spiritual connection with him, a social desire to be with others, and a mental and emotional, a brain. So that holistic view of what makes us human is what we need to consider and address and bring forth to people in addressing mental health. So let's talk about it a little. Here's the video. So I hope that we can, uh, we'll be able to get Diane Contu tells the story of a senior reporter at a national magazine who was the quintessential newsman, full of curiosity, life, and a dry sense of humor, all while mentoring cub reporters and churning out cover stories with speed and elegance. But he was also a quintessential survivor. He endured an environment often hostile to talent. He lost his best friends and closest colleagues through three major changes in leadership, a child to a terrible traffic accident, and his two other children to incurable illnesses. Yet, 
He milled around the newsroom, aiding struggling young interns and sharing his excitement for his future. This is a picture of resilience. Resilience is the ability to bounce back from extremely difficult situations and experience personal growth in the process. Resilience may sound like a superpower, but in actuality, research shows that resilience is ordinary, not extraordinary. This newsman could have reacted very differently. We have all seen a father unable to regain his confidence after a layoff at work, or a friend persistently depressed after a painful divorce deciding to just take a few years off from life. Resilience is that tiny seed inside everyday people to keep getting up when life knocks us down. Like a mustard seed, it may be small in its beginning, but with the right elements can become larger than all the other skills we develop. Four main elements influence the growth of the tiny seed of resilience. Relationships, wellness, purpose, and hope. The first element is relationships. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2 tells us that Jesus endured the cross and despised the shame for the joy that was set before him. The joy of healing humanity's relationship with God and within itself. His love for God and others made him resilient in the darkest moments of his earthly life. The second element is wellness. Wellness isn't about surviving, but thriving. In other words, wellness consists of making an intentional effort to enhance who we are as a whole by focusing on our physical, mental, spiritual, emotional, and social well-being. In John chapter 10 and verse 10, Jesus tells us that he came to give us an abundant life. Proper habits of self-care increase our resilience in moments of struggle to press forward. The third element is purpose. The Apostle Paul reminds us in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 that we are God's masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus for good works. It was Frederick Nietzsche who said, if you know why, you can bear anyhow. Purpose gives us the why so we can bear the blows of tragedy. But purpose also teaches us that looking beyond our pain and providing a balm to the wounds of others increases our resilience. The final element is hope. Romans chapter 15 verse 13 calls God the God of hope and reveals his desire that we abound in hope. Hope pushes us past our sufferings by empowering us to focus not on that which is, but on that which is to come. In Proverbs 24 verse 16, Solomon made the case that more than education, more than experience, more than training, a person's level of resilience will determine who succeeds and who fails. That's true in the cancer ward, it's true in the Olympics, it's true in the boardroom, and it's true in our spiritual walk. No matter what has you down, keep getting up by building a relationship with God and those around you, by enhancing your well-being, by finding purpose and rising out of the ashes of tragedy and helping others do the same, and by looking at life through the lens of hope and knowing that suffering will one day give way to joy. Resilience, resilience, the resilience to see us through these last days. 
where we will see trials much worse than the world has ever experienced before. We need, my friends, we need to build it now. Amen. We need to practice those things now to give us strength. Always remembering that it is Christ's strength alone. Amen. So what were those four things for resilience? Relationships, wellness, purpose, and hope. Wonderful. Very good. This video, by the way, is on our website. You are welcome to download it, share it, um, use it in your churches, in your health programs. We have a series of six. We're planning to make more. All about mental wellness self-care. It's a wonderful way to actually start some conversations with people as well. So we're going to look at a few more keys to building our resilience, coping with stress. And let's see how much we can get through given our time. So I'm going to speed through some of these. Um, and I actually forgot to ask what time I'm supposed to end. So I, I, I don't know, I might not end. But we'll, <laughs> we'll just see. We'll just see how far we go. If I see you um, going to sleep, I'll stop. Okay, so before we get into talking about what can we do, I want to paint this picture. Now, this is a diagram done in a research study in, um, in England looking at what are the factors that influence a child's risk of obesity. Okay, we're talking about mental health, but this is just an illustration of the types of factors that impact a child's risk of obesity. And the reason I show this is because we sometimes um, don't realize how complex situation life is. We sometimes just, you know, well, do one, two, three, and you'll be fine. I wish life were that simple. But it is very complex, and these are just some of the factors we see in the gray boxes, parents and family influence that child, of course. But so does their school environment. So does their culture. So does the environment around their neighborhood and then the, the larger environment that, they, that is around the neighborhood. Many factors that cannot be controlled. We can't always control the, the infrastructure that goes up around us. But there are things we can do, but we don't want to lose sight of the bigger picture as well. But our goal is to address the things we can do. What are the things that I can do to improve my personal wellness and resilience? So the first one that I want to talk about is to breathe. By the way, we have this video on our website as well. It's a fun video. Um, so go take a look at it. Breathe. Like I said earlier, breathe. <laughs> it is the first gift that God gave us. And this is, we're all very familiar of, of this, with this quote in the book, Prayer. Prayer is the breath of the soul. It is the secret of spiritual power. Amen? No other means of grace can be substituted and the health of the soul be preserved. Prayer is absolutely necessary. And prayer is like breathing. 
Prayer brings the heart into immediate contact with the wellspring of life, strengthens the sinew and muscle of the religious experience. What a beautiful picture. Neglect the exercise of prayer or engage in prayer spasmodically, now and then, as it seems convenient, and you lose your hold on God. The spiritual faculties lose their vitality, the religious experience lacks health and vigor. Is it any wonder that when Christ prayed, his disciples asked, Lord, teach us to pray like you pray. His prayer life must have been so vibrant and full and, and they could just sense the power coming into his own life because they wanted that same experience. They wanted to be in prayer, in communion with God as Jesus was. And so they asked us, asked him, teach us to pray. And we're also told by Christ, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh in, is weak. And it's, it's important to note that Christ said this just prior to his crucifixion. You see, when he was facing the greatest amount of stress in his earthly journey, when he was even tempted to give it all up, he said to us, watch and pray, because it will be too great for you. Watch and pray. And so that message is for us today, watch and pray. He's telling us, reminding us, it will be too great for us to stand on our own. And here again, uh, the same verse saying that as well. In this quote from uh, Great Controversy, this is an excerpt taken from the chapter titled The Time of Trouble. And in this chapter, we are given a picture of the trials that we will go through in the final days, chapter 39, so almost the last chapter. It likens our experience to come with the experience of Jacob wrestling at night. And it says this, their faith, those of us alive during the last days, their faith does not fail because why? Their prayers are not immediately answered. So just because we're praying doesn't mean we will get the immediate response. But even though it's not immediately answered, their faith will not fail. Though suffering the keenest what? Anxiety. Anxiety terror. Distress. These are mental health processes. They do not cease their intercessions. They lay hold of the strength of God as Jacob laid hold of the angel. And the language of their soul is, I will not let thee go, except thou bless me. We need to practice the muscle of prayer now so that we're strengthened for the time to come. We cannot live without it. It is our breath. Here's a simple prayer in the book Steps to Christ that I think is a good way to start, a good way to practice a daily prayer 
Take me, O Lord, as wholly thine. I lay all my plans at thy feet. Use me today in thy service. Abide with me, and may all my work be wrought in thee. I can tell you by experience that on the days that I pray that prayer, regardless of the stressors that come my way, I am much more better equipped to handle them. Prayer works. It's a daily matter. Another one, very quickly, find rest. Now, this one is a tough one for us living in the last days because our commission is to go to all the world. And there's a whole lot of world left without the gospel. In fact, I just came from Alaska. There's a whole part of Alaska that has not been touched by the gospel. There are parts right here in the United States not touched by the gospel. And so the pressure, the stress of that can sometimes lead us to overwork. But God says we need to find rest as well. In fact, the Sabbath, O day of rest and gladness, mental, joy, O day of Hope and, well, we forgot the words, light. O balm of care and sadness, most beautiful, most bright. Here is a research study that was actually done among Methodist pastors. And what they found was that when these pastors took a 24-hour time off every week on a regular basis, now, of course, they don't, you know, have the Sabbath understanding, so it was any 24-time period. When they did that on a regular basis, they had higher spiritual well-being. They had a flourishing, positive mental health. They were satisfied with their ministry life, and they had a better quality of life overall. But those pastors who did not practice a routine habitual, um, intentional, that's the best word, intentional Sabbath, they had higher rates of depression and anxiety. The Sabbath is a bomb for healing. Amen? Amen? We need to understand the true rest of the Sabbath. We've got to reconnect with God on his intention for the Sabbath. We know that The Sabbath rest was one of the great blessings, but we also know that there is other types of rest that we need to get on a regular basis, such as sleeping at night, okay? Um, I'm going to refer you to this YouTube video by Dr. Roger Schwelt. He is an Adventist, and he has done a wonderful, this is a two-hour presentation on light as medicine and how that interacts with our sleep cycle. So I encourage you to to go watch that on YouTube. So melatonin is one of the hormones that our brain produces as a response to the light-dark circle. When When the sunlight hits our eyes, our melatonin actually decreases. When the lights are out at night, our melatonin goes up. That helps us to fall asleep, to have rest and actually rejuvenate our bodies. Melatonin is a hormone 
meaning it interacts with many parts of the bodies. So if we have lights on at night, we're suppressing the melatonin. So we've got to turn off the, the uh, equipment, televisions, t uh, smartphones, computers. We've, we, need, we need our brain to have some dark time. Okay, so don't work through the night. And I will be the first one to tell you that's easier said than done. <laughs> okay. Serotonin is another hormone that is produced in response to sunlight as well. It seems to, in fact, activate serotonin production in the skin. Now, for, we have been talking about sunshine for decades, but now we are seeing through the scientific discoveries why it's so important. And as we share these with people, we have a little bit more validity. You know, we can tell them, well, Mrs. White told us, said we should get sunlight, and they're gonna say, who is she? But now we can introduce them to these concepts by saying, well, the science is telling us, and by the way, there is a little old lady who lived 100 years ago who told us the same thing too. Do you want to read more of what she said? You know, we can be very wise and winsome in by using what we're learning today in science that proves what we already know, but it gives us more, more ground to stand on for people who don't know, uh, who aren't familiar with our faith. Um, I'm going to skip this slide, but serotonin, we know that lack of it can be related to certain health, mental health conditions. You see them listed on this slide here. Movement. All right, I asked how many of you took a walk <laughs> this afternoon. Intentional movement. Okay, we're not talking about just, you know, going about your normal activities, but intentional physical activity, which gets your heart rate up a little bit, does also improve your mental health. How does it do that? Here's one research study that identified that there are myokins or myokines. These are proteins that are produced by your muscle when the muscle moves. So your muscles need to get this physical activity. And again, this is, you know, not just lounging around, you know, kind of moving from the couch to the refrigerator. Not that kind of movement. We're talking about getting out, taking a brisk walk, gardening, getting your heart rate up a little bit. That will produce proteins that will directly influence our brain movement. Here's a list of some of the other things that activity does with our brain, protects our neurons, functional neuroplasticity. We want good neuroplasticity. That means that the brain is able to grow and change and learn and improve in function. Cognition, and it also decreases depressive and anxiety symptoms. So just to let you know, we also have a movement. <laughs> we are a movement, church. Amen? We were made to move, and that is our physical activity initiative. You can actually go there and get some exercise videos to do in your home if you want, if you need to. Um, and we're also planning a 5K, a virtual 5K for, for later this September. So 
We have many ways to engage in good physical activity. Joy of eating, healthy eating, does also influence our brain activity. And I can't go into this in detail due to lack of time, but I just want to say that we also have some wonderful, healthy, plant-based, whole foods recipes on our website. Um, and so we are encouraging people to engage in healthy, nutritious eating for the joy that God made it. It's not a hammer to beat people over. He gave us food for joy. We also have a, an article on our website that talks about food and mood. So I encourage you to look at that, talking about some of the nutrients that specifically um, improve our mental health. Very quickly, chronic loneliness, and we are mostly out of time. Chronic loneliness is another area that is impacting our health and wellness. And this is something that actually was a pandemic even prior to the COVID pandemic. We were very concerned with it. But one of the things I wanna bring out is this research. It's actually this one in a very quick summary where they found that individuals who felt lonely in one year, in a given year, tended to become self-centered in the following year. Isn't that interesting? And if they were feeling self-centered in a year, given year, they tended to become more lonely the next year. This is blowing my mind because remember, God created us to be in community. And when we exclude ourselves from healthy community, we tend to become selfish. And this is why the most important, I believe, aspect of our mental wellness is to share hope. If, if nobody wants to be our friends, we go out and make them <laughs> by sharing the gospel. We go out there and we may find our friends. We go out and share the gospel, and there is a healing bomb that comes when we share truth with others. Yes. Christ talked about this in his final message in Matthew 24 and into 25, just before he was crucified. The disciples wanted to know, Lord, when are you coming? Tell us what the signs will be. But Christ said, okay, here are some signs. Here are some things to pay attention to, but I want you to pay more attention to the people I'm coming for. Because you see, he spends more time talking about that in these passages. 35 verses discussing the signs, 58 verses discussing the people he's coming for. He is more concerned about the people than about the signs. In fact... Even if we look at those first 35 verses, even within those verses, his focus is always on his people. We were made for community. We were made to go through this journey in this world, as broken as it is, together. We were made to be together in mission. We've got to take hold of that. 
and we don't have time for this, but if we studied the parables in Matthew 24 and 25, Christ is counseling us how to treat one another. I'm, I'm not going to go into that because we don't have time. So what is our focus today? What is our focus today? Is it the signs? Is it, oh, did you know that the Pope did this? Let's face it, we spend a lot of time watching that, those types of things. And I'm not saying don't, don't pay attention. They're important. They help us see the landmarks in our journey toward home, but they cannot be our focus. They cannot replace God's focus. His focus is in the preparation of his people to face the last days when the strain and the stress will be so overwhelming that even the chosen might break. But God says, watch and pray. Prepare today. Be ready, be ready, be ready, and press together. It is together today that we will be prepared to go through the last days. So my prayer for our entire church in North America where I get the privilege to serve, but throughout the world and here at home, press together, press together, press together. It will be good for our own mental health and we will bring glory to God. Would you like to put a smile on God's face today? Press together. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, Lord, these times are just so overwhelming. And Father, there may be somebody here or someone who's, who's going to watch this video at some point who may feel at the point of burnout, at the point where they just want to give up on life. But Lord, remind them of the purpose that you have for them, that they are called for this moment, for this time, to live and to, to move and to have their being, that they might win a soul to you. Lord, we need you to live within us. And we need each other to hold our hands up so that we can go through these last days bringing glory to you and you alone. Strengthen us, Lord. Give us your Holy Spirit. And let your angels press close around us, protecting us from the evil one. And may we all join our hands in prayer and in service as we go through these final days together. We pray this in your name. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.